Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Northern Exposure Podcast. My name is Andrew Ward, and I'm so excited to share this journey and the stories of the amazing adventurers that make up the upper Midwest. So why are we here today? There are podcasts about trail running, adventures, backpacking all over this country. But right now, there is a gap in what is happening in this beloved community of adventurers and explorers and trail runners and backpackers and bikers and canoeists. And that is what this show is all about, sharing those stories in detail of the great adventures of our area in the upper Midwest or the adventurers from these communities tackling amazing feats of endurance. So today on the first episode, we'll be sharing the story of Gretchen Metza and Jake Hagee's recent record-smashing attempt and completion at the Arrowhead 135 trail race. It is a winter ultra from International Falls on the border of Canada all the way to Tower, Minnesota, 135 miles on the Arrowhead Snowmobile Trail. Their stories are interesting, funny. We had a great time. I do want to apologize from the get-go on some technical problems. I'm a first-time podcaster and host and ran into a gamut of issues. So I've edited the content as much as I could to create a cohesive listening experience for you all. And I'm so excited you're here and I ask that uh, you will keep me in mind and have some patience as you listen today and really enjoy the content of what we've created and know that in future episodes, these issues will be ironed out. But again, thank you so much for joining this community. Um, We hope that these stories and details inspire your own adventures and we cannot be wait to be a resource for episodes and years to come on all amazing things um, on the upper Midwest adventure scene on the Northern Exposure Podcast. Thanks for being here. All right, take two. That's hey, that's okay. We stumbled through the first one. Now we're here. Welcome to the Northern Exposure. So great to have you here. It's like long last friends who haven't connected in so long. So, but it's a pleasure. I'm so happy to be with you both. I mean, first off, congratulations on your chorus crushing records at the Arrowhead 135. I have Jake Hagee and Gretchen Metza with me. Um, Jake, where do you hail from? La Crosse, Wisconsin. La Crosse, Wisconsin. Scotty, a Badger fan. Are you a Badger fan or a Packer fan? I don't watch sports. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so you won't even know what's happening with the Packers. They're going to be the worst team next year. And Gretchen, Gretchen, you you are hailing from northern Minnesota. And exactly what what city are you hailing from? Uh, Buell, Buell, Minnesota, hour and a half from the start of Arrowhead. So it's home turf. Yep. Of course. Uh, yeah, bring it. She says, bring it. Well, I, so here's the first question. I don't think these, these um, interviewees or guests have not, have no idea what questions are coming to them tonight. So they've never heard these before. So we hope that they're ready. Um, but Jake, we'll start with you and, and Gretchen. I, I want to start off with this question for both of you. You know, you both have had amazing running careers in the upper Midwest. And, you know, I think Jake, you even had some massive explosions in across different areas of the country. Um, but, um, you know, you've had successes, you've had course records, you've had wins, and you just came off of 
historic two historic performances where does this rank in terms of performances for you from a satisfaction standpoint 10 days 11 days removed from the race me first sure. all right uh yeah i guess arrowhead um is definitely up there in the top five um just being one of those kind of extremes it was a new distance in a new area new extreme of you know the uh, sustained cold um and you know limited aid limited spectators crew you know it was just like one of those it was completely out of the the norm of what i've done um, and to have it all come together on race day um, definitely puts it up there in one of like the top five. And I've done a lot of races and mm. I've been doing the ultra stuff for like 10 something years and probably had 50 plus, probably 60 something ultra performances. Um, this is definitely in the top five, but it's it was awesome to have it all come together on race day. That's awesome. Gretchen, what about you? I would say that this it was my main goal in life so now I can uh I can fire Jake as my coach and I since I grew up so close to the course and um have watched it from afar it was like I just figured I had to run it as many times as I needed to before I could own it well I think you officially own it that's for sure um when you so is this your second time running the course or like running the race I, I mean I, I think you did you do some kind of like group run last year when it was canceled or tell me kind of your history with the race so 2000 uh 2020 I did it and finished it in like 49 and a half hours ish and it was pretty disastrous then the next year I did it with some friends I did uh 63 miles of it just as a training and and then this year well <laughs> what, what was it what was the final time let's hear it uh my final time this year was 33 in five minutes wow and jake what was your final time uh 28 28 and the previous course record was now I've seen like was Scott Holberg's like 30 hours or was that a kick sled and yeah no Scott had it in 30 50 yeah 30 54 and so Gretchen's the third fastest time ever recorded on the course and Jake's the first fastest time and then Scott second that's so amazing and Gretchen for you like you saying that like this was the ultimate goal right you can fire Jake you can be done you can you know kick back eat, eat Cheetos and stuff like that and take a load off and let us win superior and, and, and beat you in superior. Um, how long did, did, was airhead one of the factors that drove you into ultra running or, or what would you say was like the start of your ultra running career? Being a type one diabetic and having my daughter also being diagnosed with type one was the ultimate factor uh, because I running felt so confusing and it messed up my uh, numbers up so much. And so I saw it as, as a, like something I couldn't quite figure out. And then also having other parents of type ones asking me questions, like having their kids in sports and stuff and not really knowing the answers to them. I realized it was a huge 
like barrier for empowering my daughter. And also I felt very guilty. Like I carried this guilt of passing it on um, genetically. And so I just thought, well, you know, I don't regret the fact um, of having kids. So I just need to get better at this to empower them. That's amazing. Would you say in the first year when you had 49 hours was, mm -hmm. you know, the nutrition a huge factor in those results, like, and, and dialing it in more over the last few years has helped? I mean, what do you think the difference was in those performances? Oh, a, a huge number of things. Uh, continuing to learn and and uh, train my body to see it as like, this is a normal thing to do to it. And then also like from, from 2020 versus this year, I mean, there's been so many numerous changes from um, like my relationship with food to uh, managing stress to getting, getting a loser coach. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I chose another coach within the trail and transformations, uh, you know, uh, a lineup that they had there. Cause I was concerned about the same reasons you did. So, um, <laughs> well, this isn't the Jake Heggie roast hour. So, yeah, pretty um, much. yeah so, <laughs> um, I'm used to it. Yeah. So welcome to your roast, me. sir. We're so glad to Play have it on you. Me. Yeah. Um, well, and we're going to get into some of those things, I think more in detail, Gretchen. So I'm glad you touched on some of those topics. Um, but I think kind of it is the beginning of the Northern Exposure Show. We're talking about the Arrowhead 135. We're talking about winter ultras, something that was brand new to me this year. And it's kind of like this really cool facet of ultra running that I don't think a lot of people touch. And I don't even think a lot of people touch it in the upper Midwest where we're from. And so, Jake, do you want to do a quick introduction or, or Gretchen? I know that it was in your backyard and you've been watching this for a year. What is the Arrowhead 135? What are we talking about tonight? <laughs> oh, it's it's the one of the biggest challenges. Uh, you look at a 100 mile race, like we say, like superior 100, where you think, uh, you know, there's a good chance I might not be able to finish this. I might sprain my ankle on a root and things like that. So it just is a whole nother notch up going into the end of January uh, on Northern Minnesota, like our weather has such huge mood swings. So, so, I mean, we could go into like, how do you train for Arrowhead and what kind of clothes and are you okay with dying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, that's, that's the ultimate question. Um, so I think I watched a video of like outside magazine, right? That featured you and you described Arrowhead 135 as some like a torture chamber or something. And I like thought that was like, how, do you remember how you described it? No, but I remember how I feel. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was like the perfect line. I forgot what you said, but it like, I haven't obviously ever done it. The most I've ever run in the winter was 40 miles. Um, but I thought like, the way you described it was kind of like the perfect, I don't know, playground for torture or something like that. I forgot what, what exactly I, how you described it, but it was a very beautiful way of describing kind of the torment and the beauty that it encapsulates. I think if somebody is looking for a challenge, 
and they feel pretty cocky about themselves, then um, the arrowhead is will humble you. So it's a 135 mile race from International Falls to Tower, Minnesota, correct? Mm-hmm. And it's on the Arrowhead State Trail. And it's like a snowmobile. Tell me more about it, Jake. Like, it's, it's a snowmobile trail that's like across marshes and it's only accessible in the winter. I just followed the signs. I eventually ended up at the casino. <laughs> yeah. And the guy was at a slot machine within five minutes with a basket of cheese curds in a, in a and in lost a... six dollars in six minutes. Don't <laughs> yeah. forget about that. Uh, yeah, your luck had to run out at some point, right? It did. It did. Um, so, but uh, yeah, no, it was basically you know a snowmobile trail the whole way. Um, you know. It was unique. Parts of it were more wooded. Some was more open. The worst, though, was probably the end. The marsh just goes on for miles and miles and miles. Um, but, you know, there's kind of beauty in just being in the middle of nowhere, um, not seeing a soul for, you know, the entire time. Um, but also just, you know, realizing that you're somewhere very few people, you know, ever get to explore. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I mean, one thing in our previous attempt at this podcast, which was about 30 minutes ago, I think you touched on something about like the winter winter ultra community or winter ultras are just different. It's different than the summer. Like what's to you, like what's different and what what draws you in? Totally. So um, I was on a run with a group of lacrosse people um, and this was back in like September and they're like, why do you want to do this? And I was like, there's something unique about these winter ultras that just completely strip you of your normal day-to-day, you know, comforts. So you're usually out in the middle of nowhere. It's cold, it's dark, there's no one around you where you think about our day-to-day lives, you know, we're interacting with people, we have warm clothes on, we're inside, you know, there's light. So this event is like the complete opposite of that. And so one of the runners was then, then like, so you want to, you could potentially die out there. I was like, well, yeah, I suppose that's kind of what makes it unique, you know, just this extreme challenge. Um, but there's kind of like something so beautiful about being out there in those elements and being able to push yourself through um, and come out the other side. So, you know, my kind of intro to the winter ultra scene was through the St. Croix 40, which I did with a couple of friends, uh, Tyler Hines and Austin Astrum. And I honestly thought we were just going to go walk this thing for like 40 miles, just go and enjoy some time in the woods together. But no, they take took off running. It was like, well, looks like we're running with these sleds today. So that's kind of how it all got started. And Gretchen, for you, what's the biggest draw to these winter ultras? the challenge just the challenge in itself yep so i've got all these questions from your fans there i can't claim for them to be my fans since this is the first show itself but i'm hoping that after this episode off of your backs i will hopefully usher in some of these fans as my own um, but what I'd like to do is before we get into some really specific questions about like, for instance, people want to know about your toes and um, <laughs> the pain cave, right? And we've got some adoring fans like Mike's hot sister, right? That's written in some phenomenal questions. Yeah, yeah. 
And so, but before we get in, I kind of want to just do kind of a high level recap of the race from a section by section standpoint. And then we can dive, dive in deeper to some of the questions that are kind of more specific. So I don't know, let's start with Gretchen. Start International Falls. Yeah, we tell were, me how it started. We were almost late to the start of the race. Both of you? <laughs> Both of us. Were you we riding rode together? With, we rode it? with Tammy Davis from the hotel. It was like, okay. oh shit, it's 640. <laughs> we got to get going. And so do and you then, have to do a check-in? Do they do a gear check? Or is that the day before? Is that the morning of? Like, what does that look? Because I know a lot of these races have required gear. <laughs> so yeah, there was gear <laughs> check the day before. Um, and then, yeah, had all of our stuff um, packed up. And then um, Gretchen's um, GPS tracker actually wasn't working like the morning of the race. Like we got to the start and we're going to, you know, turn these things on to make sure they were okay. And of course hers doesn't work. Um, you were able to get it fixed, weren't you? Like with uh, Jackie or somebody. Yeah, actually this, another racer came up, me and technology, you guys, another <laughs> racer, he's like, you know, like seven feet tall and he grabs, he takes it from me and big Sharpie marker and just wails on it. And I'm just like, <laughs> Well, I mean, they only cost a hundred dollars, so you can break it. It's okay. And but it turned on. It did. And so that was a cool feature. Was this the first year they've done the live tracking or has that been something in the past? Every year they do it, but it's optional, which is interesting. So you rent them from track leaders for $55, or if you have your personal tracker, you pay $25 just to be a part of like the, it's you know the sport of it watching the little little dots track along and I was mm -hmm. I was I was waiting for that Jake Hagee dot to come to a screeching halt at some point but it never <laughs> seemed to come to a screeching halt many people we, were don't worry yeah, we were it, we were rooting for you we were but we were also waiting because that was a pretty crazy start so let's talk about it the gun goes off or it's not the gun tell me about the start fireworks, fireworks. Uh, so yeah get up to the start line. And then I realized like, oh shit, every, every single one of these people also have sleds. Like I need, we need to kind of maneuver our way to the front. Um, you know, so we're not trapped behind everybody, but yeah, I kind of, um, got up there and then the fireworks take off and everyone started walking. I'm like, this is a race. What the hell? Let's go. <laughs> so, so did you take off right away? Uh, yeah, I zigzagged through a few people and then just took off guns a blazing. And then Gretchen, what was your, as you saw him go out guns a blazing, was it walk or was it, all right, I'm going to start running now? Well, so there was a, another racer, Travis. He's like, you know, right standing with me and uh, Jake and a couple other people. And, and Jake's like, come on, guys, let's go. And just takes off. And we're like, <laughs> See ya, you know, like, and, and later Jake's like, well, I was hoping you guys would like tag along. I was like, yeah, right. Like what, what was he doing? Like, did he do like a seven minute mile or something? That first one? That yeah, first they were definitely sub seven for the first few. I, I saw all the blinky lights up ahead of the skiers and the bikers and I was just attracted to them. So I tried reeling them in. <laughs> sub seven for the first few miles. It was very flat and fast. Uh, the snow was like the best snow conditions were probably the first 15 miles. Okay. Cause it was like 
in the zero what was like the starting yeah i think it was temperature. like negative 10 or something like that so it was pretty cool at the start and then it heated up throughout the day because it was a warmer year yeah well so i guess it depended on what time you finished right yeah so it was like negative 10 to start and then i want to say it warmed up to probably like 20 25 by what like noon um and then you could tell the snow started to get a little soft on our way to the first checkpoint uh, gateway, which is mile 35. And then it kind of stayed pretty warm, um, probably what, through like midnight? What was your experience, Gretchen? Uh, yeah, I just figure, I just think of all the terrible things that's gonna happen and then I just assume they all will happen and then I'll just deal with it as it comes. So I, I don't know. It I was way better than I expected. You just, you were just going with it and you're like, it's going to come and I'm going to figure it out as we go. So the first 35 miles is to Gateway, right? Which is a convenience store, like outpost kind of trading store. A little gas station on the corner. So Gretchen, tell me about your first 35 miles and how did you feel? What was the mindset, your pace? kind of how like when you got to mile 35 did you feel worked or were you like all right I can do another 35 miles of this no so I always I think you know the race doesn't really start until Mel George's so when we start out I see Jake chasing the little blinky lights you know like kind of remind me of a bug going towards the little <laughs> that are gonna kill him <laughs> and then and then back we've got uh Scott Holberg and Travis and another guy but he was a rookie but he showed some potential and <laughs> and so honestly the beginning I was just kind of like ah you know like you know just jogging along eating my Rice Krispies and like it was it's kind of like just a like let's kind of get this out of the way and you know making kind of making conversation the snow was actually had like a sticky like our sleds like I would look behind me wondering if something was dragging felt like my our sleds were a little sticking to the ground or something hmm. um but um but then it was kind of fun because I was running with Scott Holberg which I'm kind of like a fan of <laughs> fangirl <laughs> of Scott Holberg that's awesome. So I've kind of stalked him a little bit, like Voyager, Kurnow. I'm like, hey, Scott, you know, I find him and I, and we run along for like 10 miles or something. And um, and so I've kind of learned him a little bit. Yeah, I've learned you, Scott. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, you know, like this is a comfortable pace for me. I, you know, I wonder, you know, I wonder if Scott's going to stick with me for over 10 miles. And um, it's funny because our sleds that we carry, like Scott will, when we come to a road crossing, he'll pick his sled up and kind of, and like carry it across, like, come on, baby. And he carries her across, <laughs> gently sets her down and stuff. And he has this long gazelle-like legs that he can, you know, he's panthering along with. And then, um, and then ran with uh, Travis and, uh, eventually everybody just kind of spreads out and um, kind of picks their own pace and stuff. So the funnest thing about 
the first 35 miles is like you do have a little more like contact with people so at like mile 24 Travis caught up to me and you know we're like hey how's it going and and we're and he's like I'm like yeah it looks like Jake's peed like three times and, <laughs> and Travis is like Travis is like yeah and he's and he's eating uh he's eating uh, uh pretzels and we're looking at his stride like he's running pretty fast still oh do you think he walked right here and just kind of that's kinda... funny because at the St. Croix 40 I was also analyzing this guy's like footsteps and like when I would like feel like I was lost maybe at some point <laughs> I would like look for Jake's footsteps so I'm not the only one um <laughs> so, so how did you feel when you came into 35 I felt uh felt perfect okay let's go into Jake's first 35 miles Gretchen's feeling perfect how are you feeling what's going through your mind I heard you shot off like a cannon as what Gretchen mentioned and several other people mentioned as well. Tell me what was going through your mind the first 35 miles and how you felt as you hit the gateway aid station. Ultimately my goal going into this race and I told Jameson Swift, who is the race director for the St. Croix 40. Uh, I saw him at um, race check-in the day before and he's asking what my goal was. I'm like to be a complete pile of shit at the finish line. And he's like, good, because I'm going to be at the finish line. So if you come in looking good, I'm going to tell you to go back out for some more. So <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> I uh, took it out pretty hard with the intention of just laying it all out there, knowing that, you know, it is 135 miles. But just looking at the, the trail, it's one of those you kind of have to take it when it's good. So, you know, run hard when the trail is fast and sometimes it's going to force you to slow down. So obviously you'll slow down. Um, so early on, it was good condition. So I just went for it. Um, and I was quickly eating up some of the skiers, uh, passing a few bikers. At one point, I found myself uh, running with the uh, one of the skiers who was like the men's course record holder and well you are right now he's like well good luck to you <laughs> and uh anyway so I then realized like I should probably ease up a little bit um and I was kind of going back and forth with a couple bikers for a while and then something weird happened at mile uh it was probably like 15 or so my left leg just started to cramp up like my quad and my hamstring like and it was almost one of those like starting to limp along a little bit I was like oh this isn't good like this is way too early and it's going to be a super long day if this you know continues on so I stopped uh grabbed a bunch of food out of my pack um that's probably where Gretchen and Travis saw my breadcrumb of pretzels um so I just started loading up on a bunch of salty stuff and thankfully the cramping then resolved and never came back um, but yeah ran into gateway and started to notice that the uh, snow was slowing down the sled quite a bit and like Gretchen said it just felt sticky like early on it was pretty easy gliding but um towards the second half on the way to gateway it, it slowed down quite a bit so then you're just starting to fight for every stride. What are the bikers saying to you at this moment as you're 
running up alongside them is anybody giving you like ho 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 or is oh, it like the hey, bikers were giving me the stink eye man the bikers were definitely giving me the stink eye they're like what is this guy doing up here especially as i'd pass them and like you know they're on their bikes spinning away and i'm just you know gliding past them um yeah and they didn't really want to make much conversation so i said all right good luck yep and you, if i passed a cyclist i usually didn't see him again so Got it. So we get the first 35 miles, get to Gateway. It's still daylight for both of you, correct? At that point? Yep. And so yeah, was, what's I the... hit Gateway in like six hours or something. And Gretchen, you weren't too far back. Yes, about seven hours. Okay. Something. And, and are you, are people updating you like Jake's an hour ahead? I mean, is that, is that communication going on in the race or is it kind of more isolated? Um, I didn't really care where Jake was. <laughs> I knew I knew our gap was small. Did you feel her presence behind you, Jake? Um, I'm not gonna lie, not early on, but later in the race towards the end, there was a few times I was looking over my shoulder, just like she's gonna catch me. She's gonna catch me. But obviously I have no, you know, idea where anybody's at, but right, just one right. of those, you start second guessing things. So what's the process? Like Gretchen, you said the race starts at Mel George. What's going through your mind in that next 35 miles as you head into the evening, snow's getting a little stickier. Are you trying to relax or kind of, how are you viewing that next section into Mel George's? Mm, um, I don't know, just pretty much going up and down, up and down hills. And I was like, man, my legs feel like really good. And I was kind of wondering, where's my buddy Scott? Like, what's going on? So since I'm like his, you know, kind of his stalker, I, I, I noticed like from other races where he'll run to, he'll run up a hill and then he starts hiking. And then when he, when he gets to a certain spot, he starts running again. So I was just like, hmm. I'm going to run, you know, a little bit farther than Scott would. And I'm going to start running a little bit sooner than Scott would. And come on, Scott, where are you? <laughs> far uh, back. Yeah. Yeah. Far back. That's where Scott was. So, um, so that was like, it was at the plan was hike and run up the hills. I mean, how did you address the hills? I know that people say it's in certain sections, it's hillier than you think it would be. It's, yeah, it's, it's really steep hills. Um, you just climb the hills, you know? I mean, I encourage you, run. Run all the hills. <laughs> and Jake, is that what you did? Um, early on, the hills felt manageable, uh, but they probably got a little bit steeper towards the end. I mean, there was some pretty gnarly ones that even – you know, running without a sled would have been challenging. Really? Um, oh yeah. There was some monsters out there. Crazy. Not, I would say that those were probably after Mel George's though. There wasn't anything too crazy between gateway and Mel George's, but I swear it felt like we were climbing. You, there was way more uphill than downhill in that race. At least. Really? Yeah, I mean, was that a shock? Mainly to you? because you're pulling a sled. 
but did you underestimate did you underestimate the hills do you think like did you do you feel like you had a good idea of what that was going to look like or were you surprised at the elevation i was quite surprised how steep the hills were um yeah and just you know how frequent like like gretchen said it's like it was just kind of up and down up and down um not there was there was a good chunk of like just long gradual ones but there was like i said some pretty good sized you know you're climbing for several minutes gretchen did you forget to add those details in as you were talking to your coach about his race plan (laughs) (laughs) no i I personally told him it was flat and um you can plead the fifth. Yeah, you don't have to incriminate yourself if you don't want to here on this recorded line. Just let you know, you don't have to. You know what is honestly, I'm just really disappointed he had to show up this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, you would have outright beat everybody else by a lot. Um, so Mel George's, how, how's the mindset for both of you? Jake, like where are you at? You just like crushed 70 miles. It's dark. Um, <clears throat> going into Mel George's for me, so I'd say my probably biggest downfall of the race was running out of water uh, between uh, Mel George's and the last aid station. I was playing a little bit risky. I probably only, I took the minimum water, which was 60 or 70 ounces uh, with me, thinking that would be, that would be plenty, but I ran out probably um, five miles before each aid station. So then I'm just like getting a little bit dehydrated and and I'm not too concerned because it wasn't like I was sweating like crazy, but Mm -hmm. um, it was still, you know, I could feel the effects of the dehydration a little bit. Um, But yeah, once you get to the the lake, uh, I think it's Elephant Lake, um, you just see the lights way off there in the distance and you just, you know, basically are running across this wide open lake and hit in the, the face with the wind and whatnot. And uh, yeah, rolled into Mel George's and it was pretty funny. Uh, there was a bunch of cyclists sitting at the, the table um, in the cabin. And me, he was like, well, I suppose you are, you, you're making good time. <laughs> and so um, yeah, I basically changed out my shirt, changed out my socks grabbed a couple of grilled cheese and some Coke and, and left. And um, that the probably lowest part of the race for me was actually leaving Mel George's. Um, I just got chilled to the bone as soon as I left. Uh, you're hiking up this hill and the wind was coming right at me and I felt like it was just cutting through all my layers and I got really, really cold. Um, so I threw on an extra jacket and my gloves and just kind of picked up the pace for a little bit. And I was warmed up within probably 10 minutes and then I was able to take those layers back off. But that was one of those low spots like, oh crap, I'm halfway and I'm chilled to the bone right now. Am I gonna be able to turn things around? But I was able to. I think that's the thing in these like winter ultras is like in those moments, it's kind of like what's gonna turn out here with the weather, you know what I mean? Like, I think that just adds another layer to it that you don't have to necessarily deal with as much in the summer. Gretchen, what was your mindset at Mel George's? Because now, based on the times I saw, did Travis come in before you or did he come in after? Yeah, Travis was real excited about getting his grilled cheese, so he booked it there. Uh, when I came into Mel George's, 
I going going up to it, I just like I, I went over uh, what I needed in there. And I had a little bag inside my sled that I knew once I got to Mel George's, I would just grab that. And inside that, I would have I have extra gloves, like base gloves, socks. At that point, I had started out with um, my base layer and a tiny little windbreaker and my 45 North jacket. And then somewhere before the lake, I had thrown on my, um, my Helly Hansen like puff jacket or whatever. So when I took the puffer jacket off, my 45 North was just like heavy and soaking. So I actually took that layer off, but then my puffer jacket back on and then put another layer of pants on over top of my leggings and ate some hot, like, what is it? Potatoes, like soup potatoes. Those are pretty awesome. Drank some Coke, smacked Travis in the back of the head and then took off. And I think that knocked him out of the race, right? That smack alone right there. <laughs> Just KO'd him. I know, I know he put in a valiant performance. I mean, that was pretty amazing what he did on those 70 miles and um, and then, and then you're heading to, it's the Surly aid station and that's the real steep aid station. You said, Jake, you got some cold and you had some really steep sections. It's all through the night, basically for the two of you. Was that the section where paces start really slowing down? Kind of, what does that look like? So the footing was just kind of like all over the place. And I actually got stuck behind a, um, a snowmobile groomer he like took off right in front of me. So he's chewing up all the snow and laying it down. And of course it's super fresh. So, you know, you step in and you're sinking down three to four inches and you're just like, oh my gosh, how much longer is this gone for? Um, and just, yeah, zigzagging over the trail, trying to find somewhere where I can get some decent footing to at least, in, but it wasn't happening. So it just felt like the it was a long slog between Mel George's and certainly I never felt like, you know, any super low points, but it was just slow going. But the positive side is the hills for the downhill were awesome. Um, so I think I perfected the downhill sledding technique um, and Gretchen can fight me on this, but I think the best is to throw your sled out in front of you and then chase behind it and then jump on it. So you get some extra speed going into it. But uh, man, I was probably ripping like 30 to 40 miles per hour down some of these hills, just flying like crazy. Is that how you created the air vent on your special Ikea bag? Yes. Yep. <laughs> that was to slow it down a little bit because I was going too fast on the, on the uh, turns. So Gretchen, what's your sled down the hill methodology? Well, since I'm a precious little girl, I just like... <laughs> sled to the tip of the hill and then I sit down on my sleeping bag which is a nice soft cushion and then I just like scoop my legs to get my sled going and then I steer it like a little horse yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so yours is more of the straddle approach and Jake's is more of the superman dive kind of post so, momentum so yeah I would basically like slingshot the I would slingshot the sled out in front of me. So it's like, and I had like a 15 foot rope or something crazy. So I'd slingshot the sled out in front of me, sprint behind it as I'm approaching the downhill. 
and then jump on it like with more speed. And then I put my hands on the front of the cooler that's in the front of the sled and I put pressure through that to help me turn. Wow. Oh, man. Uh, are we still talking about sledding? Susie <laughs> the sled. She was that, amazing. That's why you do these races, right? So you can sled again. Um, so that was totally the highlight of the race. I want to get into like some of these questions that a lot of the, you know, your fans have asked, you know, before, you know, as we wrap up, how was seeing the finish line? Like, what was that experience like for both of you? Pushing pretty hard towards the end. And that sled just was sticking to the snow so hard. But as soon as I turned corners to the finish line, I felt like I took off running really fast, but then I saw a photo or a video afterwards and it looked pretty painful. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I was happy to be done. And you know, it was one of those, I was a complete wreck at the, at the finish. It's like, I got to get inside and, you know, warm up. Um, and thankfully um, there was a couple volunteers um, that were able to help me up to my hotel room. And then I just passed out. You did. You were able to go to sleep like right away. No, not even close, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you were incapacitated to say the least. Totally. Yes. Incapacitated is a better word. Gretchen, how was that finish line feeling for you? Well, in my memory, like in how I always fantasized about it is it would be dark and the finish line flag would be whipping and snapping. Uh, but since I was so fast this year, I just had to deal <laughs> with the daylight. So it wasn't everything you dreamed of. You, you, you beat your expectations in time. So you didn't get that, that uh, dream finish that you always wanted. <laughs> but what was your nutrition strategy, Jake? Oh man. Um, this one was a little bit unique, obviously just being so long and in the cold, like I started off eating, um, some of those like scratch chews and just, you know, some simple carbs, but you know, your body can only tolerate that stuff for so long. So I then switched over to, you know, some of the more, uh, we'll call them complicated or complex carbs, even though it was junk food, uh, so pizza and Oreos and chips, uh, M&Ms. Um, yeah, you made all that stuff. Thankfully, sat, sat really, really well in my stomach. Um, didn't have any uh, GI issues the whole time um, other than, you know, frequently urinating on the course towards the end. I'm sure Gretchen could see all of my marks along the way. Well, that's because um, you wrote no. your, that's because you wrote your initials in the snow. So we all knew who it was. Right? <laughs> totally. I was just trying to like mark the course so she didn't get lost. Yeah. Dehydrated but, my um, ass. Dehydrated my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, no, nutrition wise, everything was pretty good on my part. You know, having the, the hot food at Mel George's was helpful. Um, you know, I was able to still keep the hydration things in check once, you know, I just made sure I pushed it more when I was at those couple aid stations, um, couple Red Bulls, you know, kept me awake and going strong. Um, but yeah, nutrition wise, everything, I, I have a pretty solid stomach, thankfully, that's never really given me any issues on, on race day. Gretchen, did you have any stomach issues or did you feel like you kind of navigated that world just fine over across the race? 
Well, that was probably one of, one of my uh, low points, which was between Mel George's and Surly in the middle of the night. Just uh, so I've had kind of a history of like throwing up in races and all that stuff. And so when when that started happening, I I kind of it was like that point where all these like flashes of like isn't gonna turn out very good oh I've been here before and you feel like one of those little gift guys with the they're all green and and um so I just started like thinking you know like thoughts thoughts are always going through your head like okay well you know been here before and I just thought of like no way I I don't want to go down here I got to figure out some way to get get past this and so I just started trying to do different things like changed my pace up so I walked ran and and just like thought like what do you know like thinking of all the different things I could because you have to keep eating like my experience would be like maybe I'm gonna stop eating or I don't even want to drink so just started like I don't know, just feeling terrible and dealing with it, but doing different things and different thinking patterns. And um, I just didn't want to bite the dust in that same way. That was, it's interesting you say that of like, cause this is a race that you don't have support on. You don't have pacers on, right? Like it's like, you're doing it all pretty much by yourself and you've got these three aid stations. But like for me at the border route trail, for instance, when I stopped eating, you know, I would have a pacer with me. I had a pacer with me for 23 miles and he, and when I had my trouble with GI, it's like, he forced me to eat. Right. And so like, that was the motivation. And if I wouldn't have had it, I don't know if I would have ate as much. And so I think it's super interesting mm -hmm. that like, it's kind of like these mental checkpoints with yourself and like switching it up to make sure that you're forcing yourself to get those calories in because you will bite the dust if you're not able to like force it in regardless of how you're feeling. So super interesting. So, you know, something that we had there for two things that I no keep going. Two things that I told her at the start of the race, eat and no sleeping. If you do those, you're going to do great. And she did. Yeah. You crushed it. <laughs> That's right. That's one of the questions that some people ask is like, what mental mantras did you have that you kind of relied on throughout the race? And I know Gretchen, you talked about some of that stuff. Do you want to talk about any mantras that you had that like you can like think back to and go that was pretty huge just keep moving <laughs> solid if you feel like you're moving slow you probably are but so is everyone else <laughs> jake what about you um this one there was a couple of unique ones uh i had a couple little notes stuffed away in my my bag, uh, you know, Becca saying like, do it for the kids or, you know, Liam's your hero. So, you know, the kids definitely popped into my mind um, along the way. But then another big one was just, you know, make it hurt. Um, you know, like I said, the main goal was to be a complete pile uh, at the finish line. So whenever I started getting into this, you know, comfort zone, um, it was, you know, push the pace a little bit or push a little bit harder on this uphill. Um, Cause the thing is like, you're out there for so long and you're alone with your thoughts. Like, 
you know, might as well make it a little bit more interesting by pushing yourself other than just getting into this like slow, painful slog. One thing that you talk about is you love to seek the pain cave. This is actually from Mike's hot sister. Ooh. Once you commit, is that where you stay or do you go in and out of it? That's a good question. I think it depends on the race. Um, this one was definitely like an in and out of it um, just because of some of the hills and the type of snow. Um, Cause I went seeking it pretty early on, obviously from the start, you know, just taking off so fast. Um, and like I said, also, it's just, you have to take what the trail gives you. Sometimes it's going to be super fast and sometimes it's not. Um, I was in a pretty tough place towards the, um, towards the end, just because the snow was so soft and it was like a gradual uphill and it's like, you can push a little bit harder, but you're really not moving that much faster. So you just start to like wonder like, okay, well, how hard do I push? But you know, it's basically after Surly, there's 25 miles to go. So I start thinking to myself like, okay, you know, just, a, just about a marathon, how, you know, fast can I run this last marathon? So I actually started breaking it down. Um, I was like, well, if I can do 12 minute miles, I should be able to cover, you know, five miles per hour. Um, so it's like somewhere between five and six hours I should finish. So every, um, every so often I'd, you know, push the pace for a while. And then I would check my, my phone, like, oh, you know, 12 minutes have passed. I've gone a mile. And then, you know, 36 minutes have passed. Hopefully I've gone three miles. So that was another way to kind of like keep pushing myself against the clock. Do you ever get like scared when you're in there so long? Like it's cold. No, that's the point you're in of the conditions, it. But, but like, is the mindset, you know, like part of the second question is that is like, are you worried that it affects your ability to kind of make rational decisions in those moments? I know um, that was from your mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, you know, this one was a little unique in that you're truly by yourself. Um, you know, with very limited, you know, aid stations and crew, like, there was still that like reservation of like, you have to survive out here. Don't do anything too stupid. Um, where I've done some, you know, hundred milers before and just completely blew up and crashed and burned. And then I can, you know, cry to my crew members and they have no pity for me. And, and those are like, I almost have like, uh, you know, I rely on them to make some of the decisions. Um, but with this one being that I still had to be self-sufficient, um, I would say I wasn't, I was still fully aware, you know, of the situation at all times, but it's obviously still pushed pretty hard. So Gretchen, this question's for you. Like, how did you prepare for this year? You talked about preparing the mind and the body for this race differently than you did previously. How did you prepare differently this year from a mindset and from a training perspective? From, I would say mindset, uh, not so much different than past experiences. I would say, well, okay, I should take that back. In 2020, I did Tuscobia 80 four weeks prior to Arrowhead, 
thinking that maybe that would be a good training. And it kind of just left me feeling uh, kind of like tired and a little more depleted mentally. So then going into Arrowhead, it was a lot easier to like just succumb to being tired and things like that. As far as uh, physically, like the training. So actually like two years ago, about was when I first uh, got connected with Trail Transformation and somebody had given me a gift certificate. So they kept emailing me, asking me, do you want to start? Do you want to start? And I kept kind of ignoring them. And then finally I thought, geez, they're going to keep like calling and emailing me. So I should just use it. So I used it, but, and I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted to coach, but I wasn't really sure if I wanted to coach. And I'm kind of, I kind of like to train on my own. Like I don't, I just like to do my own thing. Like I'm, sometimes I wouldn't use a watch. Sometimes I would, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so Jake would be like, okay, here's this final surge app. You know, you connect your watch to it and then I can see everything. I'm like, oh, well, how about if I just don't, I'll just type in there. Like I, I did 10 miles. I did this, this one. It's like, well, I mean, I guess you could. So like I, I did, I did like all these, I don't know. It was funny. And then I just kind of like the trail transformation guys say, then they broke up with me. So I broke up with them. And um, then, so this last, so a year ago, cause it was after my, about after my practice Arrowhead, um, I, I emailed Jake back and been like, hey, will you take me back? I know I'm kind of a jerk, but will you take me back? I'll even share my runs with you. <laughs> so like that kind of started a lot of different things from 2020 to this. You started off with 2022 with a bang. What are the plans for the rest of the year for you too? Uh, oh, actually wait, wait, let me tell him. I'm going to tell him, Jake. Hopefully Andrew. one of them's beaten me at some point this yeah. year. <laughs> Andrew. You tell Pat he better up his game because, I mean, I think I'm coming for you a few times this year. All right. All right. We've got some head-to-head matchups, don't the we? The revenge from the border out. She she won't let that down, just so you know. Gretchen, so what are the plans for this year? You're doing border route again? You're going for it? Well, yeah. I mean, I just got done telling, telling you that I was going to fire Jake, hire Pat, tell him. <laughs> Tell him I need to do 30% more than whatever he's doing to Andrew. <laughs> so you got border route. What else is on the calendar? What else are some of the highlights for the rest of the year for you? Uh, beat you at Superior 100. And Marquette 50K. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Andrew, what's your calendar look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I should tell you. I don't want to lose every <laughs> race this year. I want to I wanna get number one female in all my races this year so (laughs) (laughs) what about you jake uh ice age 50 coming up in may and then uh where's that out of where's the ice age 50 out of uh like whitewater wisconsin just outside milwaukee um that was actually one of my first 50ks you know 10 something years ago um and then i'm going to be going for number Finish number 10 at Voyager. And yeah, same thing. I'm going to be tackling uh, Superior 100 again this fall as well. 
it's gonna be a party. Yes, it is. Well, congratulations, you two. It's it's been truly a pleasure having this conversation with you. I'm excited to share your stories from Arrowhead 135. And it's it's pretty amazing what you both accomplished. So I think you should be extremely proud of what you've done. And a lot of us in this community look up to both of you. And you set a high bar of of what's attainable. And so appreciate both of you kind of pushing the limits and showing what we all can be capable of. Well, thanks for having us. It was a good time. <laughs>